As, uh, as I indicated in the story for the children, the topic today is change. Change has many meanings. Change of clothes. Some change in your pocket. But the one I want to speak about this morning is a change of heart. In one form or another, change is all around us. Our lives are made up of changes. Some we notice and even mark with special ceremonies and celebrations. Weddings, for example. I was fortunate enough to be able to attend a wedding earlier this month. And I realized, once again, that a wedding is one of the very few times when a large group of people are truly surrounded by love and know it. It's a love that's focused and shared and made visible when you're there at the ceremony. The distillation of joy is so complete and is expressed so purely that everyone present knows that the lives of those two people truly have changed in that moment. But most changes in our lives occur without that kind of fanfare or even champagne. But they occur nonetheless. <clears throat> and when, that changes, when those changes occur because of something that we didn't want or ask for, we tend to view it as a negative. A new traffic light interrupts our drive to work. A favorite restaurant closes. A friend moves away. Our reaction is often, why in the world did they do that? Or how in the world could they do that with an unspoken to me in the background? As if the universe was actually designed to annoy you. (laughs) We're all familiar with these changes, the external ones over which we have no control, but affect our lives anyway. These are the kind of changes that we either just have to accept or at least reconcile within ourselves if we're not going to sink into the bog of bitterness or the swamp of self-pity. Accepting changes like the ones I just described may take only getting over it or becoming used to it or adjusting one's attitude. And it may take only a few days, perhaps even just a few minutes The change has occurred, we recognize it, we internalize it, and we don't think about it anymore. But what about more consequential changes? The loss of a job, or a limb, or a loved one. Accepting those sorts of changes over which we frequently also have no control requires consciously changing oneself to recognize that The world has changed. And learning how to be in that changed world. And when the change is as extreme as losing a loved one, the desire is often not to be in that world. And yet, it's the only one we have. So the world has changed. And we have to change when it happens. And for most of us, that's not easy. I know for myself, it's something I actively resist doing. 
And in preparing for today, I started thinking about why is that? Why do I cling to my view of how it's always been, even though it's not that way anymore? One reason may be because it never really was that way. I may have created my own version of the way things are, one that better suited me. In fact, I know I do exactly that. I create a version of the world and arrange the things within it, the people, the places, the events, the memories, to suit my own prejudices and preferences. And doing all that takes a significant amount of effort, both to create and to maintain it. So when something intrudes itself with inconvenient facts that are at odds with my vision, I dismiss them. Or I offer counter-arguments. They're always well-reasoned ones. Just ask me. And this resistance to the way things are is often subconscious, which doesn't make it any less effective. It simply makes it harder for me to understand why things aren't right. I've built a nice, cozy world. I've built my chrysalis, and I'm comfortable in it. And it doesn't include the things I don't like. And yet they're there, so what's the result? I'm unhappy, but I don't know why. Or in the uh, case of changes that I just can't ignore, I do know why. But unless and until I'm willing to accept them as the way things are, to include rather than exclude them in my nice but maybe no longer so cozy world, They'll continue to annoy or nag or shout at me until I do. Again, I'm less happy, but at least I tell myself, I know why. It's their fault. Speaking of their fault, there's a wonderful perspective on that that I came across again in preparing for this. We are taught that you must blame your father or your sisters, your brothers, the school, the teachers, but never blame yourself. It's never your fault, but it's always your fault. Because if you wanted to change, you're the one who's got to change. Catherine Hepburn. And that leads me to the other kind of change I want to talk about. Unlike the uh, caterpillar forming its chrysalis, its hard shell to protect it while it goes through the changes it has no choice but to, to make, we can choose or choose not to change. And as many have said much more eloquently than I ever could, if we want our lives and our world to change, it is we who must make that change. We who must be that change. It's no good expecting someone else to do it for two reasons. One, you have no control over whether someone else will actually change. And two, most people don't want to anyway. So that just leaves each of us to do the changing. Whether it's our health, eat less, exercise more, or our attitude towards others, bark less, wag more, 
Or how we treat our loved ones. Me less. You more. The power to make things different, to change things, lies within and solely within each of us. No one can change me except me. Which is not to say that change is easy or fun or even comfortable. In fact, most changes worth making are fairly or even extremely uncomfortable. We all tend to find our comfort zone and then try to stay in it. Anything that takes us out of it feels wrong. And as long as we equate feels wrong with is wrong, we will resist the very changes we need to make. Even when we know we should make them. Now, if all people were of exceptional moral character we would change anyway, despite the difficulty, despite the discomfort. But most of us can use all the help we can get, even when we recognize a change has to be made. And I know I can use all the help I can get. And one of the places that I look for that help in accepting the changes I can't control or embracing the ones that I want is here in this community. This community of people looking for change. And that's what I believe we are. For why come to worship service if nothing's going to change? At the very least, I know I come hoping to see someone who makes me remember how good people can be. And I can always count on a few of them being here. And to hear something that makes sense of either my life or the world around me. Although it's not necessarily in the sermon. And to be changed for having done it. That's why I come. Because if I stay home, I know nothing will change. So I come expecting change, and I think most of us come, most of the time, expecting a very specific kind of change. A change in the way we think about ourselves or about our world or about our place in the world. A change in our spirit. A change for the better. And I believe this is a place to join with others who believe that changes for the better in each of us are possible. People who are committed to making that happen. In 1961, a Unitarian in Chicago, this was before the merger with the Universalists, so it's just a Unitarian church, who was on the board of the church at the time, had been arguing all night with another longtime member about how the board wanted to engage the congregation in actively working to change from being an all-white congregation to an integrated one. This was as contentious for many then as welcoming LGBT people has been more recently for others. Finally, uh, after a long night of intransigence, in exasperation, this uh, board member almost shouted, if we can't find a place for everyone, then what's a church for? 
After a moment of reflection, the other replied, I guess the purpose of a church is to change people like me. To turn from merely acquiescing to a change we cannot control to consciously deciding to make a change, perhaps in opposition to something we see in the world around us, perhaps in support of something we see in the world around us, is a crucial step. But the intellectual decision to change will remain just that, intellectual, unless joined by an emotional commitment to the change. And no one can make any worthwhile, lasting change without embracing that change. For it is only when thought is coupled with will that anything changes. So like that suddenly aware Chicagonian, we must learn to accept or embrace change. We can do so grudgingly or willingly, with denial or recognition, in anger or in love. But the only way we can prevent change, or at least pretend to ourselves that it doesn't occur, is by building walls around ourselves. Walls which cut us off from each other and from our own lives. Accepting the changes we can't control means keeping both our minds and our hearts open to the realities around us. Especially to others realities. Those are just as important as our own and based just as much on wish and whimsy and have just as much need to be true. And embracing the only changes we can control, the ones within ourselves, means opening our minds and hearts even further. Opening them to the possibility of becoming different but I'm comfortable. I don't want to be different, says one side. You must be different, says the other, if things are going to get better. Opening them to the possibility of becoming more than we are. And this we cannot do without change. As the 13th century Persian poet Rumi said, Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. 